In today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about the Tesla Giga Berlin fest that just happened and all the information that came out of it, the fallout from the GM and LG battery debacle and how things are shaping up there, Foxconn joining the fray and creating their own EV, and also William Shatner going to space. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? Doing good, Matt. Doing good. We were off last week, so it's been two weeks since our last show, but hopefully you guys are joining us and, and uh, didn't forget about us. We're here. Um, what was your video this week, by the way, Matt? I covered a topic that you've covered, uh, aluminum air batteries, and kind of kind of addressed the hype that came out around them about the thousand mile battery. And it's like, but you can't recharge them. And it was kind of a fun topic to talk about. And is battery swapping going to become a thing? You know, it's I know it's for us in the U.S., that sounds like a non-starter, but you got to imagine there are rural places in the world where like, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me to drive around town all month and then go to a my city center to just do a swap and then go back home, almost like a propane tank kind of a thing, right? Yep. So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about some of the rural areas I've been to like in India, for example. This is where it's becoming very popular. It actually could really make sense because it's it's a different kind of business model, but yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, great video as always um, by Matt. This week, our video is a day late. We're, we're going to publish it tomorrow. It's on the Iron Flow battery and this company called ESS, which actually just went public and uh, turned their ticker symbol around. So it's actually one of the most promising technologies in energy storage that I've seen this year. So it's, it's like my really excited one. So uh, bookmark that. It'll be out tomorrow. Uh, should be fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Generally been a crazy week, but let's, let's get started. Yeah. yeah, let's get started. You want to kick it off? Yes. So the, the big news, I think, for the week uh, was not that I was invited, but uh, I would have loved to have gone was <laughs> Tesla's Giga Berlin event. And here is, we'll talk about this kind of in, in two in two forms, but really look at this. This is the 4680 cell in their structural battery pack. If you look at kind of the ribbing and the, the layout of how this is all put together, this is a part of the structure. This helps with the the integrity and the chassis rigidity and, and, and flexing of the car. And if you remember back from battery day, Elon said, and, and his, his example, his analogy was to aviation, where in aviation, you have a lot of the fuel in the wings. And so the wing is not just a lifting member. It's actually where the fuel is stored. This is kind of his analogy here. Um, what's really cool is you can see the cooling ribbons. You can see the in and out here, how they snake through. It's super cool. I wish I was there to see this thing. And even in this picture, which is hard to get a sense of reference and scale, Matt, look at the size of these battery cells. I mean, you they can tell huge. they're huge. <laughs> They're massive. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, this this does raise a question. So their, their, their factory in Berlin is going to be commissioned and up and running pretty soon. They're going to scale that up uh, to some pretty lofty and amazing numbers uh, in the near term. But one question I still have and I'm not fully aware of is if the Model Y will be 4680 based or if it'll be 2170 or both. Both sounds kind of tough to pull off. There's yeah. There's some challenges that could potentially arise there, but... Um, yeah, this thing is going to be seriously important. And don't forget about the the huge giga casting machines. This, yeah, this video, let me just play this for a second. Look at this, 10% mass reduction. And that comes from, instead of having all these stamped parts you have to rivet or weld, you've got these big casting machines that, that cast it all, 14% range increase. So that, that means that they're going to have, yeah, their model-wise are going to be uh, built with fewer parts, probably better better margins. And this factory is going to be pretty literally latest and greatest and, and cutting edge. It's a brand new factory as opposed to retrofitting an old factory. The second part of the story is just the loftiness of their goals and what they're going to be able to produce. 
So they're saying they could build a car body every 45 seconds, which is more than 600,000 cars a year. Now that would be like 24 seven, never taking a break. That's not realistic. But even if it was 500,000 or, or, or something more in that range, this is still huge news. And this would make Tesla's threes and Ys that they build there, the best-selling cars, the best-selling kind of premium cars in Germany. And I think this has to get the attention of companies like Mercedes and BMW who are already losing to Tesla here in North America and I think also in large parts of, of Europe. But this is not going to do them any um, any wonders there. What do you what do you think about all this, Matt? Uh, I there were so many things I kind of got out of this that I thought were fascinating. Like you brought up the the battery pack and the casted front and back, but they're also attaching the seats. I didn't realize that they were attaching the seats directly to the battery pack itself. So they basically can, can put, build the base of the car essentially. It's more than this, but basically three gigantic pieces with the seats attached, and then they can lower the body chassis on top, which dramatically simplifies the building of the car, reduces dozens of parts, so you can understand why they can churn out cars so quickly. And I've heard some people talking about how like this is like one of the biggest you know car plants in Germany, which is not the case. This is not the largest factory in Germany, but this is a factory that goes basically toe to toe with pretty much every other factory that's in Germany. And even though they might only be pumping out 500,000 cars and VW might be able to pump out 800,000 cars at one of their factories, the thing I thought was fascinating was that if you look at the square footage, and, uh, VW has a factory that's got 6.5 million square feet. It's in Wolfsburg, Germany. Uh, compared to the, what is it, 1.9 million square feet of the Gigafactory. Now you're talking about like at peak, maybe 800,000 cars versus 500,000 cars. If you kind of do the math there, it almost makes the Gigafactory basically twice as efficient for their use of space, which to me is just bananas. And when I saw it, kind of saw like the difference in size and how much they can actually pump out, it really just shows how they've rethought the process of building a car to make it as efficient as possible and to, that they're going to have those eight gigapresses in the factory. And that's one of the reasons they're going to be able to pump out these cars so fast. Of course, it's all going to be like Model Y coming out of those those presses to start. But this just kind of shows how they're completely kind of overturning the industry a little bit when it comes to manufacturing and going using the first principles thinking to kind of come at it from square one, where all the big auto manufacturers have this history and legacy and investments that they've already put in. It's making them slow to shift to more efficient technologies, which is giving Tesla a huge edge per square foot, <laughs> which just kind of blows me away. The, yeah, the Giga casting machines are probably one of the, the big parts of the story. I think Tesla's story and their passion for manufacturing gets overshadowed by like FSD, for example, which to me, the manufacturing story is, is way more interesting. Like you mentioned, you know, they're, they're pretty new to this. They've, we've had Volkswagen and others around for a very long time. But yeah, Tesla seems to be taking risk. And I think the Giga castings are, there is some risk. Like, for example, when they're at full rate production, <clears throat> how, how many issues will they have you know the bigger the piece that you're you're casting you, you can have like twisting and warping and little imperfections or maybe the injection wasn't perfect there's a lot more it's a challenging thing to do but i think they're going to figure this out and it's going to be pretty amazing the reduction in floor space that you mentioned it kind of makes sense with what what they're what they're doing because without that every time you have a stamping machine you have this big machine that takes like a piece of sheet metal and has you know like a die cast it's like a, a stamp presses it into the right shape and then you take a bunch of these together and you and you're, you're having to either rivet or weld them 
all every one of those machines is massive. And if you're replacing a lot of that with just a big old cast machine, that's pretty amazing stuff. This is the part of the, the, the Tesla story, I think, that's that's so interesting. We were chatting before we went live. The really cool part about this is if you're a European customer now, you're not competing with everybody else trying to get your cars out of Fremont. Now you have your own dedicated supply. And the same goes for people here. So if you're waiting for your car, you don't have to compete with the Europeans now. The Europeans have their own factory. That's This is always the promise, right? I have a gigafactory on every continent, and they're they're doing this. This is pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious where the next one is going to be because you know they're going to have to build another one. Is it going to be India? Some people have said Russia, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because they don't. there's not a lot of car sales in Russia, so it doesn't make sense. But someplace like India makes a whole lot of sense to me because there's a huge market potential there. So it's like I, I'm just really curious to see where it kind of goes from here. But once you've got Austin and you know Berlin and Shanghai all kind of humming along, it, t- Tesla is doing some really impressive stuff now. Yeah, and- all their numbers that we, we keep kind of losing sight of this, but all their sales until very recently were all from 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 Fremont. And yeah. then they add Shanghai, now they add Giga Berlin, Austin comes online. Their sales could quadruple. Their yearly their numbers can absolutely easily quadruple. So and I think they're able to do that also with a good profit margin. Uh, and they don't have to deal with the dealership networks and everything else. So yeah, it's um really awesome show. I wish we had gotten an invite. Um <laughs> yeah. maybe next time. Well, the, the other thing that we haven't talked about is the paint factory. Supposedly, the paint yeah. uh, factory is cutting edge, and it's going to give them really, really good quality paint on their cars. And we still have problems with paint on Tesla cars being delivered today. So it's like I'm hopeful, like if they've cracked that nut in the Giga factory in Berlin, I hope the same thing's going to Austin. I hope they retrofit Fremont with whatever they did <laughs> over there, because it would be awesome to see that kind of argument of the paint quality just going away if they've actually solved it. I wish they had shown more from from that during the uh, GigaFest. I, I think in time, yeah, they'll, it'll all happen in time. Um, so then what about panel gaps? This is the thing yeah. I think, and I think it's always kind of, been, I think I've always said it's been overstated. Yeah. My car was, was pretty nice, but I have seen some pretty bad examples. Um, does that get fixed with the new factories or is that something they need to keep dialing in? I actually don't know the challenge there. I'd love to get somebody who could tell us like why Porsche has such great whatever and, and someone else doesn't like what it is and what can be done about it. But what do you think? Is, is that going to improve? I think it will. I mean, they're reducing the parts. They're doing these castings now for parts of the car. And I wouldn't be surprised if it helps make the cars more square and makes it a little more uh, rigid and easy to kind of get things aligned properly. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see the cars coming. <laughs> this is the part that I was saying to you before the, we started the show of like, the cars coming out of the Berlin are probably going to be a higher quality than are what are coming out of Fremont. So you're going to have cars that probably have better paint. They might be a little more square, have better panel gaps. It's like it might be an actual better Model Y coming out of Berlin. Um, and you could almost say the same thing with what's coming out of Shanghai. The Model 3s coming out of there might actually be slightly better quality than what's coming out of Fremont. And it's not a, it's not a knock against the employees that work at Fremont. It's just the systems that were set up, you know, it's they've learned a lot. Every Lots factory. Every factory they learn and they make adjustments for the next factory. So it's kind of like, I hope they can take the time to take what they've learned from the latest factories and kind of retrofit Fremont to kind of bring it up on that quality bar. Yeah. And the choice for Giga Berlin, I think, was probably a difficult choice because it's an expensive part of the world to build cars, just like Fremont, for example. But Germans and Germany are known as manufacturing like masters. To me, it's the best manufacturing countries are probably like Japan and Germany are the two countries that come to mind. So putting a factory there, building high quality cars. Imagine if like the, the, the media and the press 
stopped with all the panel gap stuff because like the Model 3 is coming out of out of Germany for the, all the European customers were like as spot on as any of the German cars. That's I think that's a good story to tell. So I think, yeah, it'll be a little more expensive potentially uh, operationally, but I think the the end result to the story is, is a good one. Yeah, I agree. So the next one uh, is <laughs> the sad debacle around the whole GM Chevy Bolt battery fires and issues in the recall we're starting to see the end of this happen and how things are shaking out. And so it turns out that LG has agreed to pay GM $1.9 billion for this battery debacle. And in total, it's cost GM about $2 billion. So essentially, LG is paying for the whole thing, which I found kind of shocking. I thought that was kind of a, a big surprise to me that they're actually covering pretty much the entire cost of this recall. Uh, but the the saddest part about all the recall is that it's they've it's still not done. It's like they're still manufacturing the new battery packs, and they're only going to be starting to actually replace them starting this month. So all these Chevy Bolt users have basically been told, do not charge your car to 100%. Don't charge it in your garage overnight. Immediately after charging it, take it outside and let it sit outside. <laughs> so there's all these things that Chevy Bolt owners have been having to kind of take care of because who knows if their battery is going to be good or not. And uh, even after the battery replacements, evidently, they're going to be pushing out a flash software update that's going to, for the affected vehicles that will drop the maximum state of charge to 80% and will slowly ease it up to 100% and give back garage charging privileges um, based on how well the battery is actually performing. So there's this whole thing has been, to me, the, the saddest part of the story is just it doesn't do... <laughs> good things for EV adoption because here's these headlines of EVs exploding in people's garages and burning houses down and they're scary. The whole booga booga aspect of the story is not great to for people who are thinking about buying their first EV and then they see stories like this happen. I really hope this is just a, a one-off and we don't see this kind of rear its ugly head again with another company, uh, whether it's BMW or you know VW or whoever. I hope this is just kind of a lesson learned. Let's move on and hope everybody's doing their due diligence so that we don't see this crop up again because it's it's not good for EV adoption. It's a really good point. It's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I was kind of thinking more about like GM's reputation, yeah. which is already kind of murky to begin with. There's, there's you know, people have some strong opinions, opinions there. Um, the way this was handled reminds me, do you remember the in the uh, 90s, when I was a kid and, you know, all the uncles and aunties were buying minivans, there was the Toyota Previa. It was, it was the pr minivans with a very, very small front yeah. trunk. It's like yep. most of the engine was like under your seat, under your the driver's basically seat. So the Ford had what they called the Aerostar, which was this hideous, terrible thing, which had the same problem. It was very compact, very small front, so a small crumple zone in the front. So it was very unsafe. And there were all these like frontal crashes and it was horrible, right? So there, I think GM had one too. I can't remember what the GM was called. It was the Aerostar from Ford and then the Previa from Toyota. So all the cars, I mean, all three of them, many of the people who are building these things had issues. But what Toyota did, as soon as this, like the news broke that these cars are horribly unsafe and all that, they completely killed the Previa line. It was done. Like as soon as the news of this came out, killed that line, stopped making them. I think they had a year off. Like there was no minivan for a year or something. Don't quote me on that. But and then the very next model was the Toyota uh, Sienna, 
which went from this problematic problem child to a five-star, the safest minivan ever tested car. That was Toyota's approach, right? Whereas like Ford and uh, and others kept making the same crappy thing for far longer and didn't have a replacement for many more years. And this is kind of one of those like cultural or um, this is one of those things about your company culture. And General Motors handled this very poorly, I think, like you mentioned. And as this story now unwinds, it appeared to me they were buying their, they were kind of buying their time until LG paid up, and then mm. they were going to go take care of this. That is the wrong way to do this thing. If you got to borrow money or whatever you got to do, you got to go fix it and then go get the money on the back end. You don't wait around while people are, you know. I saw those signs like L, uh, "GM Bolt Owners Not Allowed in Here." Like that's absurd, right? That is such a a, 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 a tarnishing mark on your on your record. So. It's like it's like the Samsung Galaxy phones exploding, and yes. if you have a Samsung Galaxy, you can't bring it on the plane. It was, it's, you can't fly. With it. It's like, ugh, come on. And the reaction of Samsung to that was really bad too. It's like some True. of these companies need to be be more proactive, get ahead of it as fast as you can. It's not only good for the consumers for our safety, but it's also good for PR to show that you care and that you're taking appropriate actions to make sure that things are resolved. A, a greater challenge for EV companies because. You have to have a safe battery throughout the entire supply chain. So like, for example, if your graphite, instead of being 99.9% pure, had some impurities that get hot or are reactive in some negative way, and your vendor for graphite didn't tell you that or something, or the separator company had a defect and, and they didn't know about it until... There's a million things that have to all happen right. Whereas in the gasoline car, you freaking put a gas tank and you ship it on its way, right? So this is a challenge that needs to be really uh, addressed well. And so the, the battery makers, and you would think LG would have figured this out. They make batteries more than anybody, right? But it was kind of on them to, and it was their fault. So even though it wasn't GM's fault, it was still kind of a problem that they had to figure out. But this is important that they have a good relationship because I guess LG will be working with them on the Ultium stuff. Yes. So it couldn't just be like a knockout, drag out kind of fight between the two because they got to turn back around, hug and kiss each other and get back to work. So hopefully this is um, moving in the right direction. I know a couple of people in the in the comment section probably have a bolt. I, I remember last time uh, there were, there were some people. So I'm curious, what's your strategy? Do you just wait it out and wait for the replacement pack? And like you said, the ease in ease into you're welcome back in your own garage again, hurrah. <laughs> um, or do you you know do, are you still do you want to get rid of the car or what? I'm kind of curious what how people feel about it. But at least it's something, right? Something's yeah. better than nothing. Exactly. So this is a <laughs> this is a fun one, Foxconn. Is a company you would probably have never heard about unless you follow Apple. Foxconn does all the manufacturing for Apple, which is this is interesting, right? Tesla and Elon want to want to manufacture. That's what Elon's all about. And Apple's the opposite. They want nothing to do with any manufacturing. They design and then they outsource the manufacturing. And there are some pros and cons to both. But Foxconn is a just a manufacturing powerhouse. Now I would have thought it was more about consumer electronics, not as much about cars, but Here's the Foxtron, their first electric vehicle. And so this this vehicle, I think, is going to be produced for the American market by 2023. Now, like everything else, I don't know how much car manufacturing prowess they have, how, you know, like building an iPhone and building a car are completely different things. But a company like Foxconn, I think, could pull it off. So um, we might see this car in North America. But what's also interesting is I think what they really want to do is be a white leg white labeling company that could build EVs for other people. So this article mentioned like Lordstown Motors, Apple potentially. So imagine if you have this cool design for a car, 
uh, and Fisker even potentially. So imagine if you had a really cool design for a car, but you're not going to go raise 50, you know, 20 yeah. billion dollars to build a factory. Um, maybe you just have a cool design and then you work with them and they tell you the price per car. They build the molds. They, they do all the, the heavy lifting and they can tell you, you know, for this much money or this many units per year, here's what you're looking at. Now, these will be like bespoke, very boutique manufacturers potentially, but I kind of like this idea. I think this is what we need to really have a burgeoning like new startup culture. Not every company is going to be like Rivian and Lucid where they have so much money to do all of this. Many more will fail if if not for this. So I think this is cool. But I, I'm not, I just don't know. Do you know if they have any history with ma- automotive manufacturing? This is their first car ever. And... So, so when I saw when I saw this story, <laughs> it was how seriously are they taking this? Um, I know they want to build cars for other people, which is great if you want to get into that industry. But remember a couple of years ago at CES, Sony showed off their EV um, prototype that was yeah. actually an amazing car that everybody was like, "I want that car." That was really a a proof of concept to show we know what we're doing and we can help you out. And it was probably more about them trying to do that white label approach, trying to say to uh, car makers, we can help you work with us. I wonder if this Foxtron car that they've made, I'm wondering if it's more about that. And it's like, they'll make a very small number of these. They're not looking at this to become another big hot seller around the world. But I wonder if it's meant to be just a small kind of toe in the water to kind of prove a point. We know how to make a good car, come work with us. And I wonder if it's more about partnering with companies because they bought out the, the Lordstown factory in Ohio and they're going to be helping Lordstown make their trucks. And so then they've also, they're also building another factory, I believe, in Wisconsin. Um, they're planning on building cars in Thailand and here in the U.S. in 2023. So it's like they clearly have big ambitions. But I think you're right. I think it's more about the white label approach than making it themselves. And if you look into Foxconn, they make everything for everybody. They make like Xboxes and like it's like it, it, everything I've known for is consumer electronics. This is like the biggest thing I've ever heard of them making. Like they make TVs and game consoles and iPhones and things like that. But an actual car, it's surprising to me that they're doing this. Um, the interesting part that we should probably note of is there's a big unveiling event on October 18th, supposedly. So it's next week where they're supposed to be unveiling Same this day car. As Apple. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to that's gonna get drowned out in the news. But it's going to be announced next on October 18th, and we're going to probably find out a lot about what their ambitions are around EV manufacturing. And I'm I'm looking forward to that to see, to see what they say, because um, this is just leaks that we're seeing right now. So I, I'm I'm going to be keeping a keen eye on this. So Jose Santine says that there is a Foxconn plant in Wisconsin, and there's apparently been some issues and it's been a bit of a debacle. But imagine building them there for the American customers. Imagine having a factory that just does white labeling cars. So I actually really love the white labeling idea. And the reason is it allows you to separate brand love and passion from manufacturing, right? So for example, mm-hmm. imagine the Foxconn phone, no one's buying it, but they're going to build a great phone. They literally build every iPhone. And if you think an iPhone is a quality device, it's because of Foxconn, you know, they're the ones that, that, that build this thing. But as a consumer, I want the Apple because that's kind of what I've synonymized with quality or whatever it is I believe in, right? So the same kind of goes for cars. Like if you think about it, Lucid and Rivian have to do both. 
they have to like appeal to some brand and, and, and loyal customer base and build this gorgeous machine and then learn how to be mastery manufacturers. That's not normally the case. Like you, you, if you watch Shark Tank, I came up with a cool idea and then I find a guy who will manufacture it. I'm not building a factory and manufacturing it myself. That's too much for possibly one small company. So now imagine that you and I, the, the vice versa car, and we could model it up and design <laughs> it and test it. And we don't have to go figure out how to do manufacturing because manufacturing is really hard. And I don't think you and I are going to, I don't think we're going to cut it. <laughs> no, we're not going to cut it. The one, the one thing though is like Apple and other companies like Microsoft with their game consoles, they're designing the, the thing themselves. They're coming up with exactly how the PCB is going to be laid out. They're coming up with what processors and things they're going to use and everything about it is designed by them. And Apple in fact helps to design some of the machines that actually are needed to make the devices because they come up with crazy we have to do this chamfered edge that's never been done this way before so they help design the machine to do that chamfered edge but they want no part in the actually having to make the factory work at scale and that's where foxconn comes in i don't know about foxconn as how good are they at design so here they are coming out with their own car it's like who actually designed the foxtron was it foxconn or did foxconn kind of like hire some kind of design agency to design them a car that they, they turn, turned around and built. I'm there's so I have so I many questions about this. <laughs> I, have so many I think questions. you hit on the head a second ago and you mentioned the Sony car. So yeah. the Sony car was kind of a proof of concept or like, look what we can do. Yeah. Call us if you want to build a car. We'll do X, Y and Z, the sensors and the thing. And the thing. I think the Foxtron is the same thing uh, personally, because again, I, trying to build a reputation and a brand takes decades like mm-hmm. hyundai and and kia the korean the south korean companies are starting to become really popular and beloved now it took like 30 years to do that honda toyota takes decades so do you really want to do that or do you want to just build the cars for other people so to me it's the sony vision it's here's what we can do but you see this and you can go design your own fancy body panels and make it cool looking or you know, whatever you want but we could do the hard work of building it for you right it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah. So you're going to skip the Apple event and watch this? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I want a new MacBook. Yeah, I'm waiting. <laughs> so are you ready for the last story? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. This one's a fun one. This is a light one. William Shatner going to freaking space. I mean, come on. The this is You mean again, just... right? Clearly. I'm sure the man's <laughs> been to space. Yes. Blue Origin just yesterday had another launch where uh, obviously this is for PR, but they sent... Look at him back there. I mean, come on. Captain Kirk floating in space. It was, I don't know about you, but I grew up, look at him, look at the earth. This this gets me a little choked up to look at, to see William yeah. Shatner just enjoying his time in space. And he's 90 years old. And the thing about this, this flight that just kind of tugged at my heartstrings was I'm a big Star Trek fan, grew up watching the original series and all the Star Trek shows and movies ever since. And so the symbolism of here's the guy who played Kirk going to space 50 years after he did the show, it really, it really kind <laughs> of, I'm not going to lie. I got a little weepy and my brother was watching it live too. And he and I were texting back and forth and he got a little weepy uh, just because the symbolism of it. And I was saying to my wife, the thing about this that got me super excited is I love that even though it's a, a PR stunt a little bit, he's 90 years old. And this just kind of helps to show Going to space isn't about being the fittest and being like these crazy like test pilots that become astronauts that they're shooting off into space. Anybody can go to space. 
anybody can go to space. It's democratizing who has who can go to space. Right now, it's all about who has the most money to be able to afford to go to space. But the actual physicality of going there, all of us can do it. And that was the part that got me kind of like tugged at my heartstrings, got me really excited about what they showcased. And when they got back to Earth, when they were talking to Shatner about what he thought, uh, one of the big things that he said was, this has basically changed me forever. And I, I don't want to lose this feeling because it's changed his perspective on what, what it means. And he kept equating to going up into space as death, which I thought was a really kind of weird and poetic way to put it, but it's very Shatner, <laughs> which was the, the, the veil of blue got ripped off so fast as they were going up. Like you were in blue and suddenly like ripping a blanket off of you in bed, just push, you're suddenly in darkness. He, he thought that was so profound. It was just crazy how the atmosphere that gives us all life is so thin and you can exit the atmosphere so fast, it gives you a completely different perspective on, on life on the planet. I just, I don't know. I got really kind of um, choked up a little bit watching this. Matt and his brother have a podcast about Star Trek where they go by episode by episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so any Star Trek fans, Matt, can you put a link to that? Um, sure. If it isn't already, put it in the chat or somewhere. But if you guys are Star Trek fans, you got to watch it. Him and his brother, seriously, it's deep dives. It's really, really awesome. And yeah. Uh, nerd hugs all around for sure. So <laughs> definitely check it out. It's something I've actually been watching. I like you. I like watching the the, the Farrell brothers get together. Um, it's <laughs> it's good fun. fun. I watch your <laughs> exactly. By the way, special chat, uh, super chat from the knife dude. Thank you so much for your super chat. There's no message, but we appreciate you. We've I've seen you on here before. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is this is one of those stories that for me brings a full circle. If you if you watch Star Trek as Matt did, as I did growing up, maybe to a lesser extent than you did, Matt. Um, we watched science fiction. This was, it was this world that didn't exist and people in, in their minds, it was as far away as anything else, but we're kind of doing it now. I'm not, I'm not saying we're at Star Trek levels yet. We don't have warp drive and we don't have colonies and a federation and stuff, but we're at, it all comes from that first, the imagination. You got to kind of dream it, think about it, and then you start to get out there and, and do it. That's kind of all dreams start. Every person who built a car or um, like if you ever hear some of the like the founding founding stories of car makers like Koenigsegg, for example, Christian von Koenigsegg, they just had big dreams and they kind of as kids and they obsessed about it and, and they got older and they were actually able to do it. All they could think about was making those things happen. The inspiration for a generation. We had Star Trek around the time of the space race. That was like one of the great times to be alive. And I'm just happy that we're back to that now. I, I do feel a general sense of awe and wonder for space again and there's some negative sentiment i've gotten a fair bit of comments when i make space videos about how it's just for the rich but um so were plasma tvs when they first came out so were the first teslas right um it's kind of how it starts but i, I do think we're in the golden age part two uh, is yeah. that is that too bold i don't know that's yeah, for me it's like science fiction is like if you're a futurist i consider myself a futurist i get really excited about the potential for the future and it's like watching star trek as a kid like watching Jean-Luc Picard, who I've got his hairstyle going on, like yeah. walking in his ready room with a data pad and I now have an iPad. So it's like, I'm, I'm freaking like as a kid, that thing seems so science fiction to me of like, oh, he's got this computer that's like a sheet of paper. And it's like, I basically have one now that it's like where we're going, like communicators, there are iPhones. It's like, we're actually starting to live and see some of those things that felt like science fiction 50 years ago are now becoming reality and space flight and colonizing other planets 
Elon Musk wants to colonize Mars. It's like these guys, a lot of these people have been inspired by science fiction and science fiction stories and things like Star Trek that got them wondering what they can do. Can I make that actually happen? And they're going out and making it happen. So for me, space travel, yeah, it's completely out of the realm of possibility because it's still millions of dollars to get to space. But this is the early days. Fast forward 100 years, 150 years. I mean, think about air flight. You know, flying on a plane when they were new was crazy expensive. And now we, most people can afford to do a flight, get on Southwest. Well, maybe not Southwest right now because they're having problems, but get on, get a cheap airline fare and you can fly to Austin if you wanted to. So it's, it's the, the idea of spaceflight becoming more democratized and cheaper over time is seems inevitable at this point. And it gets me super excited. Yeah. I wasn't around when like the first jetliners emerged and, but I'd imagine it was the same thing. A lot of people going, look at this, another toy for the rich. It'll never be me. I'll be on my train. Yeah. And yeah, fast forward 50 years and flying a <laughs> flying flight is as <laughs> anyone can do it. There's no class. There's no, there's no like socioeconomic factors that go into it. Anyone can fly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that'll happen for, for space as well. Maybe longer term, there needs to be like economic incentives, right? It can't just be tourism. Um, airline travel isn't just tourism. Part of it is work. Part of it is a million different things. So um, as, as companies like the, the big three that we've got right now, keep, keep, going to work on some of these challenges it will definitely come down in price yeah we, we don't only have a minute left but we should we shouldn't we didn't have a chance to talk about this this week maybe next week but general motors has their um <laughs> their super crews that they're kind of publishing they're saying that it's going to be able to do 95 percent of stuff by 2023 uh rivian's un unleashed pricing unbuilt pricing for what they're going to charge lucid had that dream drive video which didn't really tell tell me much but um yeah, maybe next week we could focus a little bit on that. The full self-driving wars are... The full self-driving wars. They're heating up. It's going to start heating up over the next couple of years. Yeah, we should probably focus on that next week. That could be fun. And I'm sure that people have opinions. So, so tune in, hit that, you know, remind yourself for Thursday at 11 Pacific, 2 Eastern, and uh, we'll, we'll dig into it. And as always, everybody, thank you so much for watching. And you can also go to viceversa.show if you want to listen to the audio version of the show. And as always, thanks so much for watching. We'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.